I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Boy, you can see the enemy loves to fight on that one. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Speaking about the local church. Verse 7, where we really begin to dive in. But grace was given to each one of us. According to the measure of Christ's gift, therefore it says when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions to the earth? He who descended is the one who ascended or also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love... We're to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Amen. Pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name, we ask that Holy Spirit, you would do your work now of taking your word, making it land and make sense. We pray you use this time powerfully because your word is powerful and it will accomplish all for which you send it out. So we pray that you would make that of effect right now. We hand the time over to you. We trust you to do something great with it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Here's the big idea of this passage, particularly verse 7 to 16. The big idea, the overarching point, is that the whole church, the whole church, is gifted to equip the whole church to be Jesus' body in the world. The whole church is gifted to equip the whole church to be Jesus' body in the world. We're about to finish our summertime season. The summertime season is travel season. If you go and look at our records, we're some 330 people. But in the travel season, we're like 100, right? But when everybody comes back, we didn't stop meeting, did we? And there's been doctrinal, biblical, holy stuff go forward, and they didn't get it. That's what they do. Set up a private session with Pastor Eric, and he's just going to lay it on them, right? He's like, here's what you missed. Here's like 12 weeks of boom, 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 boom. Pastor Justin, like, boom, I'm going to get you caught up. No. The whole church... This is huge. The whole church is gifted to equip the whole church to be Jesus' body in the world. Three Rivers, you are gifted adequately to equip everybody in the room and everybody not here to be Jesus' body in the world. Did you know that? 
He's been gracious to us. Now I want to state here of note. And we're going to come back and walk through verse 7 to 16. And pull these things out and then make application. There is the office of leadership in the church. And when we talk about the church, Pastor Emmett's going to preach through one particular sermon where we talk about the role of leadership in the local church. And this passage today is not addressing leadership. This passage is written by Paul to the church. If we bring leadership to this passage and sit it down on top of it, it's something we bring to the text. It's not in the text. Okay? He's talking to everybody in the church at Ephesus. There's a place for biblical church leadership, and we'll talk about that later. But that's not what Paul's addressing here. Nothing in this passage indicates that Paul is addressing leadership in this passage. He's addressing everybody. With that in mind, verse 1 to 6, Paul's letting us know we're one body, we're unified. In Christ, we're one. Verse 7, he reminds us, however, though, even though we're one body, grace has been given to each one of us. Alright? So we're one body, we're unified, but the Lord has given grace, and the word grace, His goodness, His kindness, it's even used in context of His power, has been given to each one. Meaning every individual in the whole, unified, has been given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift, meaning He has measured out for each individual exactly what He wants them to have, and He has graciously given it. This isn't in the applications, because i got too many, so I had to start cutting stuff out, right? So, here you go. There's no such thing as an ungifted follower of Jesus. Just not applied. If you're in Christ, you're one body. But Jesus, in His grace, has poured out on us as individuals the measure of grace He wanted us to have. Verse 8, therefore, it says, and Paul quotes Psalm 68, 18 here. And he says, when He ascended on high, He led, host, uh, led a host of captives and He gave gifts to men. Now, I don't want to spend too much time here. If you go back and read this, Psalm 68, 18, that's not exactly what Psalm 68, 18 says. And so one of the great things the New Testament does is it takes the Christological, I know that's a big churchy word, it takes the Jesus bent of the Old Testament and they reinterpret it in light of the gospel, right? Now, if you've been here a while, we've taught you how to study through the Old Testament in light of the gospel and showed you how to Read and understand the Old Testament in light of the gospel and how it preaches the gospel. This is one of those passages. And Paul shows us the picture that is being portrayed here in Psalm 68, 18 in light of Christ. And so what he says here is Jesus has given us each one of us according to his good measure, gifting, grace. And he quotes this passage that's a picture of a conquering king coming into a people. And he rules and he reigns and he shows his mercy to the people. And he likens that to Jesus. And he says, when Jesus ascended and completed all of his work, he came to this earth, he lived, he died, he was buried, he rose, he completed salvation and he ascended. And when he ascended, his work was finished and he graciously from his throne gave gifts to people. 
verse 9 to 10 is a beautifully poetic way of telling us who this person is who ascended and gave gifts, none other than Jesus. When he talks about he who descended is the one who ascended, who descended, who came down. He came from heaven to earth to show. You guys know that song? It's like, you're like, please don't ever sing it again. Just be quiet, right? He, he came. He is the eternal creator. There is no other God. Jesus is God. He's the creator. Colossians 1, 15 and 16, right? By him, all things were created in heaven and earth. Things were created for him, by him, for his good purposes. So Jesus is creator. So he who descended is the one who ascended. So who is this that gave gifts? None other than Jesus. All right? That's verse 9 and 10. Verse 11. And he. Who's he? Jesus. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. These gifts are distinct from any other gifts list in the New Testament. Because they're all attributed primarily to the ascended Christ and his makeup as the eternal Son of God. He is the first apostle. The word apostle means sent, right? He was sent. Who sent him? The Father, right? So he is the first apostle. And when Jesus calls the apostles in the New Testament, he, what did he do? Mark chapter 4. If you're following the Bible reading plan I use and you read Mark 4 today, he called them, designated them as sent ones, and then what did he do? Sent them to preach, right? In our context, apostles is a scary word because some people misuse it and abuse it in certain denominations, and they turn it into the, I don't know, they, all kinds of crazy stuff with the word, right? And one of the things I want you to recognize here is this isn't just the designation of the 12. How do we know this? Because in Acts 14, 14, Barnabas, who was not one of the 12, is called an apostle. Why was he called an apostle? Because he was sent by the church at Antioch to go preach the gospel. So Jesus gives this sentness, right? There is a gift of being sent. There's a gift of going and pioneering and going out according to the command of the Lord and preaching the gospel. So he gave apostles. He gave prophets. Prophets speak the word of the Lord. They don't... Listen, some people use this word too, and it's a scary word for a lot of us Southern Baptists because sometimes when people use the word prophet, what they mean is they say whatever they want to say and then call it prophetic, and you just got to receive it. That's not true. Or sometimes they use it in desi- to designate being a jerk. I'm just a prophet. No, that's not what that means. The prophet speaks the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord. The prophet speaks God's word. There, It's appropriate. There's an appropriate time. You're in a setting... And something's happening and the scriptures are just burning in the prophet's mind. And it's clear. It's right there. Oh, that's that passage. And the prophet says, here's what the Lord says. Boom, 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 boom. That's prophet. He gave the apostles. He gave the prophets. He gave the evangelists. None of us like that one because that's the inviter. Right? We're too ashamed of Jesus to tell people about him. Let's just be honest. Right? I don't, don't want to ask you to raise your hand if you introduce somebody to Jesus this week. I'm afraid we would have no hands go up. And I think in often in our Western context, particularly the information we're constantly bombarded with, we feel bad about uh, asserting that somebody needs Jesus because if they don't, they'll go to hell. We, there's, there's a, isn't there a sociological pressure that goes, that's arrogant, don't say that. And, and all of us probably feel the tension of going, it's kind of weird. I know that person who does that kind of stuff and I don't want to be like them. And we shove it down. But Jesus has gifted his body with the inviters. 
who are constantly looking for ways to, to get people to the kingdom of God, right? Paul was a great evangelist. He went to the craziest places and preached Jesus. And he did it in uncomfortable ways. I see you're religious people. Look at this pantheon of gods. Wow, you're very religious. I'd go, pagans! Y'all going to hell. That's what I would probably do. And Paul's like, no, no, no. You're very religious. You're not far away. And you've even got one that says the unknown God. Can I tell you who he is? And he preaches Jesus. And some like, man, that's crazy. Some like, man, I believe. Right? That, that, that's it. And you know what? There's some of you in this room who have that. And you push it down and you suppress it. Right? But Jesus has given the evangelist. He's given the shepherd. One who's like getting their arms out, like, where are the sheep at? I can bring sheep. Bring sheep, sheep, sheep. We got them on the pen. Sheep ready. Sheep here. That's the shepherd. And then the teacher, the one who likes to explain, the one you're like, you need to shut up. You've been talking forever. Be quiet. <laughs> like, this teacher, right? I'm not going to ask you to point me out because I know what I am in this. And you probably see some of what I am in here. I'm not real concerned about anything other than going and teaching. And so, if it ain't happening, if we ain't moving forward, we're failing. That's, you know, that's what I am, and then I want to explain it, right? And so, we're all gifted, right? Jesus has poured this out on his church, but why did he do it? Now, there's more to this passage I would love to teach you at another time, and we will. We'll come back about these gifts particularly, and how they relate to Jesus and the image of God in man. Because I think if you pay attention to the world, you'll see all image bearers have components of these. And they're either used for good or not. But he gave them particularly, specifically, and intentionally to his church for supernatural purposes. What are those purposes? Verse 12. Two. Purpose clause. Jesus gave these to his church to equip the saints... For the work of ministry, to build up, to fix, to repair, to construct saints for the work of ministry. Meaning these gifts are given to the whole church for the purpose of the whole church building up what still needs to be built up so that they can do the work of ministry. So I'm going to ask, this is a rhetorical question. Please don't answer it out loud or you may be embarrassed, okay? So rhetorical question alert, okay? Whose job is ministry? Your pastor's or yours? That's right. It's everyone's job. These gifts have been given by the Lord that we would equip one another with these gifts so that everyone would be properly equipped that each person could do the work of ministry. For the building up of the body of Christ. That last phrase almost defines the work of ministry. It not almost, really does grammatically. When I get into the letters of Paul, you have to pardon my nerddom because the grammar is beautiful. Paul writes really long sentences and they're all connected in beautiful ways. And so what Paul's really doing grammatically here is defining what ministry is. And ministry isn't what I want it to be. It's not I get to go, oh, pastor, I got a good idea for ministry. I got see-do ministry. No, 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 no. 
No, 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 no. Don't put ministry in Sea-Doo. Now, would I, li- would I like for there to be a Sea-Doo ministry that I could run? Yes, I would. That would be a lot of fun, right? But don't put Sea-Doo and ministry together. What's the work of ministry? It's building up the body of Christ. That's the ministry that Jesus gave the gifts for, is that we together would be gifted by the Lord, and together we would serve one another so that we are built up into Christ's body. This also is important. What is the church? The church is the literal physical body, the hands, the feet, the eyes, everything of the person of Jesus Christ. This is why you hear us. We have a high ecclesiology at Three Rivers Church. For a Protestant Southern Baptist church, we have a very high ecclesiology. And that's word about the church. That's what ecclesiology means. Because the church just isn't throwaway. She's got problems because she's full of people who are being made into the image of Christ and aren't quite there yet. So ain't nobody sitting in a chair today arrived. We're a work in progress, and so we got warts. We're not pretty. We don't always function efficiently and effectively, and we get on each other's nerves, which is why we go back to verse 1 to 6, where he says we got to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, because the enemy's coming after that, and your sinful flesh goes after that too. Right? Right? And so, And so our task... With these gifts is to build up Jesus' physical body, which the church is that, which is why she's holy. And we must be careful about speaking negative words about the body of the Lord Jesus. Now, we learn all the way back in chapter 2, he's the head, right? So he's the head, we are his body. And he's given these gifts that we can equip each other for the ministry of building the body up into Christ. Verse 13 until so there's a time stamp on this there's an end date to this when does it end until we all right not till the preachers and the pastors and the leaders remember i told you this isn't about leadership this passage is written to the whole church so until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the son of god and then he defines what that is to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of christ So when do these gifts go away? When are they inactive? When we have fully grown up into Christ. What does that look like? Well, it looks like this. Unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God. Meaning we are unified in Christ, which is why it's vital that we keep in front of you why we exist. I know sometimes you get tired of hearing why we exist and pushing pushing, pushing about your purpose and why we're moving toward the glory of God among the nations because that's what we were created for as the body of Christ, to go there. The mission doesn't stop in Roman Floyd County. It's the launching point. And everything we do needs to point from that base and launching point of Rome, Georgia to the world. And so we push you for that because... There's unity in that faith. The faith is made up of the glorious doctrines of the Bible on mission that those would be known among the nations. It's not just so that you can sit in your chair and feel good that you know right stuff. It's that we can take that right stuff where they don't know it and we teach it there too. Right? So... We're given these until that time. Has the task been accomplished? Negative. Billions of people, nations, peoples, not knowing or having access to Jesus. The task isn't completed. Right? Verse 14. 
so that, right? So he, he injects right here in the middle of our passage the purpose for which I wanted to preach this as an introductory sermon. We're talking about right teaching, right? We're talking about what we believe. So that we may no longer be children, comma. He means he tells you now what he means by that. Not literal children, spiritual doctrinal children that are tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Everybody sitting here has the task of correct doctrine. Meaning, there's a little bit of heaviness to that. Meaning, I have a responsibility. You have a responsibility to get it right. Now, Paul's going to address this in other places. James addresses it in his correspondence where those who say you are teachers are going to be judged stricter because you say you're a teacher. So anybody who stands here and opens the Bible and says, I'm teaching you God's word, is going to stand before Jesus with a different standard. That's in the manual. Which is why you don't take that just flippantly. Right? Right? We, we've got to take that very seriously. But we all have these gifts from the Lord to serve the body, to help it grow up into Christ, to the status of maturity, so that we are not blown and tossed by bad doctrine. Meaning... It's everyone's responsibility to teach Christian doctrine ad- accurately. Everyone's responsible to know their Bible. Everyone's responsible to have worked that out. One of the beautiful things I enjoy about the world and traveling the world and, and meeting other pastors and all of our travels and where God has taken this little church to be of effect is how the Bible is capable by itself of teaching sound doctrine. We, I'm, I'm a, I've been a professor and taught systematic theology and I've used John Frame, who's one of my favorites because he's just like nuanced to the moon and back. And beautiful, just sound Christian doctrine. And then, and then there's Grudem, who's sort of a, a nice compilation of Christian doctrine. Frame takes what Grudem generalizes and just gets in the weeds with it, man. Just gets down like pulling things apart and dealing with it. And that's beautiful that we have that luxury and we have that history of scholarship. But do you know what's beautiful? Is when an uneducated man or woman gets a hold of a Bible. And they're literate and they can read. It's crazy how... By the Holy Spirit, by the salvation work of Jesus Christ, He is able to take His Word and make them as doctrinally nuanced as a PhD. Because the Spirit's a good teacher. And here's my point to you. That's all of our responsibility, not just mine. It's yours. To teach one another the truths of God's Word. This is why, well, that's getting into application. Just hang tight, we're almost there. So rather, rather than these, these, these cunning and crafty and even deceitful schemes, which is interesting. If we have more time, I'd like to unpack deceitful schemes. It's their deceitful systems. Most all false teaching is systematic and it's deceitful. And I had a whole list of almost right but completely wrong things. 
And if I, that's a whole list of preaching, so I cut that out. So maybe we can go over that another time. Verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So rather than being tossed around like spiritual children, we are to speak truth in love. That doesn't mean, that doesn't mean saying what you want to say with a gentle voice. Right? It means speaking truth from God's word in a manner that is most appropriate for the task at hand. And we'll get to this a little more in the application, but don't read onto that. Hmm. Right? That's not all the time what love is biblically. Sometimes love is Matthew 23. If you don't know what's in Matthew 23, go read Jesus screaming at the Pharisees, not because he hates them, but because he loves them. Anger is a secondary emotion. I don't mean to go psychological on you. Right? But when love is spurned, anger is a result. Not all anger is evil. Paul said, be angry and do not sin, meaning spurned love comes out angrily. Sometimes when people are intent to walk into hell, in spite of the love shown to them, it requires a stern and firm action to keep them from walking into the flames. And sometimes it's like, it's not, stop. It's, stop! You are killing yourself! Right? Does that make sense? That's not a failure to love. That's love, right? Jesus went to the cross and died a bloody death. That's love, right? So truth, God's word spoken in the manner most fitting to show love in the circumstance most fitting. Meaning you're going to have to be nuanced as a Christian and discern how you need to say God's word to that particular person. And every now and then it might be one of those Matthew 15 scenarios, Matthew 18 scenarios, where they're about to display and put on display for the world that they don't belong to Jesus. And what awaits them is a, is a mm, God-awful result. And you might have to yank them back. Right? There's an old hymn we used to sing when I was growing up in, in Southern Christianity. It's called Rescue the Perishing, Care for the Dying. Anybody ever heard that song? Rescue. Oh, man, so good, good for you. Y'all saved. Rest of y'all not. All right. Rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save. Sometimes rescuing somebody means yanking them from out in front of the car. Right? But sometimes it's keeping them from walking in front of the car. It just depends on when you get to them, right? So you can make that application, right? But so here, here's, here's the point. This is, verse 15 is kind of like the soil that these gifts are to be cultivated in. It's speaking God's word, his truth with love. That's the soil that these gifts are to grow up in, to germinate in. Verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped... When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Paul's using some, some clear language and he's using some illustrative language speaking about joints and the body. And here's his point. Everybody belongs to everybody else is connected to everybody else and everybody's supposed to work properly. 
right? You guys know how that works, right? Anybody ever broke a toe? It's crazy. You break a toe and everything hurts, right? Like, why is my ear hurting? I just broke my toe, right? You, you can get a flu and your intestines make everything ache, right? Because it's all connected. And here's Paul's point. We're the body of Christ and we're gifted to serve one another. And he says when everything is connected properly, it grows properly. Meaning all of us are to be properly connected and assisting one another with these gifts to grow each other up into Christ. And you can already see where that just breaks down. Not because Jesus' plan is broken, but because we are broken. And because we need the salvation work of the cross to continue to transform us so that we desire to be connected in the first place. Right? I have yet to see my forearm go, I'm done! I've had it! Done with that, you're killing me! And walk off. Right? And that's ludicrous. That's goofy, right? It wouldn't happen. But we will do that to each other. Done with you as though we could walk off. As though walking off and staying connected to the head is possible. So what in the world are we going to do with this? Dadgum, I got six minutes. Jeez, man. I told the guys, I'm really working to get 30 to 35 minutes. And I got six minutes to make it 35 minutes. So I'm going to try. Thank you. You're very sweet. Thank you. Number one, if you are in Christ and covenanted to a local church, which there's no other way for a Christian to be, you, you There's no such thing as being disconnected from the body and being in the body, which is connected to the head, right? I can't be in the head if I'm not connected to the body, right? Does that make sense? All right. If I'm in Christ, coming to the local church, we have been graced by Jesus to serve each other. The question isn't, have I been graced? The question is, what is it? Number two. Local church membership is the only way to invest in each other as Paul is describing in this passage. I've said this to you before. I want to say it again very quickly. Do you understand that the entire context of the New Testament is the local church? It's the context. The Gospels were written by the authors to assist the church with the Gospel message of Jesus as its own mission. Which is why they weren't written first. And that's for the Bible talk later, right? But the Gospels weren't written first. They were written later, right? Your first book in the New Testament is 1 Thessalonians. And it's written as Paul is on mission in Thessalonica. And as they preach the Gospel, they start to recognize we need something to speak to Gentiles. Matthew's work is all to the Jews. And so you get Mark writing Mark, which is... Absent of all the Jewish stuff, so Gentiles can hear with all the Jewish white noise. Right? And so the Gospels were written for the church so that they have a document, a tract, to preach Jesus from. (laughs) Right? You start seeing this and like, that makes sense. Because that's what it is. Right? And so... And so the local church is the context of everything in the New Testament. 
And being a covenanted member to one of those, like the church at Ephesus, or Three Rivers, or West Strong, or Life, or First Presbyterian, being a covenanted member to one of those churches is the only way to experience what Paul has written in this passage. You know, people all around the world have relational bonds with other humans because they're image bearers, right? You ever notice that fellowship isn't just unique to the church? Other people can have fellowship with each other because they're image bearers of God and God's trinity and God's in community and other image bearers can have fellowship with other image bearers and not be Christians. However, what they don't have is apostolic on mission. Prophetic on mission. Evangelistic on mission. You ever notice that groups not Christians who are are affinity based recruit people? I ain't going to tell you who, but I've been having a group in town trying to recruit me to their thing. It's not bad. Nothing wrong with it. But man, they love each other. They serve one another. But you know what it's not? It's not the body. They're image bearers and they have this affinity and they are tight. And they want to grow the group. They even said, we want people like you in here. And I'm like, oh, thanks. And I'm going, can I afford? I mean, who else can I give myself to? I can't give myself to them and give them to you and give them to them. and give them to, who, who, How am I going to divide myself, right? In other words, there are allegiances that naturally take place. You only got 24 hours a day. You ought to sleep eight of them. So that's healthy. And then the rest of it, you got to work. Right? And this stuff you got, how are you going to spend your time, right? And so here's my point. Local church membership and connection to one another and making that priority is the only place you're going to get these things happening like this. It just is. I give this illustration. I've said it a couple of times and I think it bears repeating. I didn't ask permission. I don't think these ladies would mind because I've told the story before. But in our last Radical Life group, I was out in Texas, and I was teaching a bunch, this crazy bunch of Anglican, yes, Anglicans, church planting. Believe it or not, Anglicans are planting churches. They do a lot of stuff wrong, like baptize babies, so we're going to pray for them. But they're trying to make disciples and do good stuff. So we're teaching them how to plant churches. And even some free Methodists from California on planting churches. I'm on the stage. There's like 200 people there. And there are like four or five of us on the stage answering questions after one of our sessions. And I was in a metal chair that the seat kind of came up and down on. And I, I was fiddling with my hands underneath the seat. And the seat came up and went back down and nearly cut my daggum thumb off on the stage. Went all the way down in there. And I happened to have a napkin in my back pocket. And I just, because I'm cool. I'm cool like that. I just pulled that napkin out and wrapped it up real good and just sucked it up and got through the session and then went to the bathroom. I'm like, oh gosh, I need help. So I, you know, I, I, I doctor it best I can. I get home and we're at Amy's house and, and our radical life group's there. And Kara, being the medical professional, Amy being a medical professional, both look at that and go, you need to get that checked out. I'm like, no, I'll be all right. Well, next thing I know, they have made me an appointment. And so I had to go. I'm like, I'm not going to waste their effort. And lo and behold, I needed a little assistance, a little care. And here's my point. You know what they did for me there? They shepherded me. That's shepherding. That's going, there's a problem here. Let's, let's, let's gather the fence around that. That's not good. They shepherded me. And do you know what? Had I not been present, I would not have received shepherding. 
had that situation not been present in Amy's kitchen, while I'm just trying to get something to eat, they would not have seen and been able to shepherd. Meaning, until we are committed to that kind of time with each other, we won't get it to give and we won't receive it. And you know what I learned in that moment is not only did I get shepherded, I learned something doctrinally. I learned something about the body of Christ that she's powerful. And she's full of Jesus' gifts. And the enacting of them isn't anything other than time. Time spent, time invested. You know what I had to do though? I had to cut off some other stuff. If I'm going to be there to receive that, I can't go do this or I can't go do that. And I learned doctrinally that Jesus loves his body. And he loves his body enough to fill other people with gifts to serve me. Third, others are gifted to serve. So, therefore, each person has to receive gifts from others. And then affirm gifts in others in order to see gifting flourish in the whole body. In other words, you've got to be humble enough to receive ministry. That's hard for people like me. Because I like to say I don't need nothing, I don't need nobody. And frankly, I can make it by myself. I'm a self-starting. Miss George ain't going to let me get away with that. She's like, no, you can't. And you're right. But I, I, some of us are wired that way. We feel bad when others serve us. And you know that sin? That's, that's sin. Me sinning against Jesus by rejecting that. And so we have to be humble enough to receive ministry, to put ourselves in a place to get it. And then we have to be bold enough to offer ministry. Let me, just tell you things. Let me tell you something about being a pastor and your pastors. Most people don't want to serve or won't approach pastors because they don't think pastors need anything or they're intimidated by them. And you know that's a lonely place to be because nobody rarely offers pastors anything. They want your time so you can give them something, but rarely, if ever, will they give that back to the pastor. Which is why those ladies, I will never forget, they cared enough to make me an appointment. Wow. Right? So you got to receive it. And you've got to be present to get it. And you've got to be bold enough to offer it. And yes, your pastors need ministry too. They're good at receiving criticism. But they don't often get served. Serve these guys. Serve their wives. Right? Be bold enough to offer it. Number four. Unity and full knowledge of Jesus is the goal of applying Jesus' gifts. So in other words, the goal isn't just to have the gift or have the experience or make sure somebody gets served. The goal is unity in Christ and the hard work of the end of serving one another so that we stay vertically aligned to Jesus and His purpose. We keep doctrinal integrity in place because we challenge false teaching and we do that together. You know when you're discipling people? Doctrinal challenges will come, and together you solve those. So unity and the full knowledge of Jesus is the goal of applying these gifts. Number five, we must therefore be able to identify false teaching together. 
Sound doctrine is the product of the whole church living in Jesus, gifting and sharing those with each other. So when you're in Radical Life Group sometime this week, if something doesn't sound right, like, mm, this is one I had on my list, right? Don't judge. Don't ever judge. Do you know that's a lie? Jesus never said don't judge. He said don't judge hypocritically. How do you know that? Because you can't tell there's a log in their eye unless you can see it. His point was make sure you ain't got a log out of your eye whacking them in the head as you're trying to take theirs out. That's the point. In other words, you're always making evaluations. You can't serve one another if you can't look and say, I can tell you're struggling. Can I help you? Right? That's judging. What we mean when we say don't judge is don't tell me what to do. That's rebellion. There's no such thing and no place in the body of Christ for not receiving instruction from brothers and sisters who are gifted to serve you and maybe correct you, maybe yank you from out in front of the car. Get your hands off me. Boom! Right? You see what I'm saying? I mean, this is a dumb illustration, but you get the point. Right? And so we have to be able to identify those things that, that maybe we're walking out in front of moving vehicles doctrinally. Number six, truth and love is the soil that our growth takes place in. Sometimes love is corrective. It's not simply soft talk. Go read Amos 6. Whoo! You lay on ivory couches all day and drink bowls full of wine, you cows of Bashan. That's in the Bible. And you're like, dang, he called them cows. And said they eat a lot, drink a lot, and lay on the couch all day. While... The poor are suffering. Oh, we don't do social justice. Never mind. Right? No. Right? Sometimes love is corrective. Right? I have to yell at my sons when they do stupid things. Right? If it's like the fourth or fifth time, my precious wife loses her mind. She's raising teenage boys. And you know if you have boys, they don't hear the first time. It's usually on time number eight or nine. She says constantly, I know why the military yells all the time because they never heard it the first time. And by the time she gets to that, she's crying and screaming. And it's not because she doesn't love. It's because they're dumb. It's because they're dense, right? And you have to scream sometimes to love people. Does that make sense? So let's not fall into the trap that love equals just being soft. Sometimes it is. It's necessary. Right? If I had a house full of girls, I would be, oh God, Adam and Amy. Like, I don't know how you do it. Right? I, because I would, I would, I would, just, I would hurt, <laughs> I'd hurt their heart. I have to scream at these fools. And I see, I see the precious little Jocelyn girls and I'm like, oh, they never do anything wrong. Just sweet, sweet, sweet. Right? I know that's not true, but here's my point. I don't know how to do it. You can't say to the Jocelyn girls the things I say to the Jolly Boys, right? And so love has to look like it needs to look. And sometimes it's soft. Sometimes it's rough. But truth and love is the soil that these gifts take root in. I challenge you to read the prophets of the Old Testament. I notice in a lot of our Christianity, we're just not concerned with the Old Testament. And we've taken great pains to teach you how to read it appropriately. It's where the gospel is preached from in the New Testament. The New Testament authors aren't making this stuff up. They're preaching from the Old Testament. 
And so I want to challenge you to go read those prophets because they love the people of God and they love God. And their correction isn't out of a lack of love. It's because I don't want my people to go to hell. All right? Number seven, we're almost done, I promise. Clock's off, my bad. Staying together in a unified body. I wrote an equation. You math people are going to laugh because I'm not a math person. Staying together in a unified body equals each part plus equipped from others plus doing its part plus to equip others times repeat the process. And you are like, I have no clue what he just said. Yes, I can. Staying together in a unified body equals each part. Everybody. Everybody. Plus being equipped from each other. Plus everybody doing their part. Plus equipping others. Times repeat the process. Right? In other words, church life is not complicated, guys. We turn it into a complicated mess. It's not hard. It's serve each other in the soil of love for each other. Do it over and over and over again. And keep doing it over again until we achieve full unity and the full knowledge of Jesus around the world. And at that point, He's coming. And we won't need the gifts no more. Right? I have found the past few years the idea of Christians discipling other people into the faith is foreign to our idea of how to do church. We default to thinking church is a Sunday morning worship service. Can I just say to you, this is not church. This is necessary and it's important, but church happens out there when you make disciples and internally equip each other to go make disciples. It's, it's not complicated. It is not hard. It is simply investing in others that they might know Jesus and those who know Jesus be grown greater into Jesus. It is really that simple. Don't make it harder than it needs to be. And then do it over again. (laughs) Do it over again. You notice Jesus' strategy? Seriously. He had the 12 and inside the 12 he had 3. And he taught them who he was. And then he apostled them. He sent them. Go tell everybody else what I just told you. And they did. And guess what? You're here today. Seriously. It's that simple. Because those they told went and told. And those they told went and told. And those they told went and told. Until the gospel made its way to Rome, stinking Georgia. From Jerusalem. Finally, Three Rivers. Three Rivers Church. You know this already. Jesus has given this to you. It's a gift, right? Now, we think gift. We think, you know, cool stuff. <laughs> not like gifts are not cool. Please don't misunderstand what I just said. Right? Now, yesterday, John Mark's birthday, 16 years old, he got a brand new Benelli shotgun because he loves guns, right? So I'm sorry if that offends anybody. We got a new shotgun. And we went up to Mr. Jim's place yesterday, and he let us throw... Skeet, and we shot Skeet, and John Ross, his friend, was there shooting Skeet, right? So he got a gift. We think gifts, we think new things, right? Jesus has given cooler gifts because they're supernatural, they're powerful to building each other up into the purpose for which they were created in Christ. Three Rivers, you have all of that. You lack nothing. 
lack nothing. So what I want to challenge you to do is enact it. Time together. Time together. And a key component. This isn't unimportant. Gathering isn't unimportant. Hebrews 10.25, don't forsake assembling with other believers. So we don't forsake this. This is a priority. It's just not the essence. So we invest in each other. And we come together in these moments. We sing to the king of the universe. God's people were made to sing. I've been first and second chronicles. Who's on the Bible reading plan? Anybody know the Bible reading plan I'm on? Are you on it? Sinners. If you want my copy of the Bible reading plan, get on it with me. Email. I'll send you a digital copy. You can do whatever you want to with it. But you go first and second chronicles. David appointed the Levites. He-Man. Yes, He-Man. Jeduthun. Right, all these these cats he, that played the instruments, he set them up in shifts, twenty four hours a day, to sing and make music to the Lord and to lead the corporate worship. That's in your Bible, right? So the people of God were made to sing to the Lord. Jesus, get this picture, has poured out on you this marvelous gifting, and what do we do back? We serve one another and we look up to Him and say. Thank you, Jesus. You are worthy to receive praise. Living, you love me. Dying, you saved me. Buried, you carried my sin far away. And we, we make much of him. And we do that. We do those two things well. It's a freight train you can't stop. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we want you to be magnified and be glorified. We pray, 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 pray. You pull that off right now. You pull that off right now. God, I pray that you, by the Holy Spirit, would enact our gifting in Christ to serve one another so that we're not blown and tossed by crazy anti-Jesus stuff. But to build each other up in the truth of Jesus Christ. Would you pull that off even right now? Holy Spirit, I ask for places in our hearts to be lifted up where they need to be lifted up, that you would encourage, where where there needs to be correction, would you correct? Where there needs to be instruction, would you instruct? Would you take your word and make it a lamp for our feet and light for our path?